0: hello and welcome back to another edition of the dog and duck show welcome to 2024 first episode of the year and boy oh boy the huskies are natty bound they go to 14 and 0 continuing a 21 game winning streak with an absolute nail biter against texas uh 37 31 monday night in the sugar bowl uh I I think I'm going to start calling them the defibrillator dogs because my heart was literally pounding out of my chest. And that's been the storyline for the last 10 games uh, with this amazing team that we all get to enjoy watching. This one came down literally to the absolute last second uh, before Elijah Jackson slapped the ball away. From Adonai Mitchell, like Homie the Clown, saying, I don't think so. Homie, don't play that. (laughs) But now the Huskies are reliving history, preparing to face Michigan with a national title on the line, just like 1991. This time, there will be no voters, no polls, just a final scoreboard that will tell us who the national champion of the 2023 season will be. I will be headed to Houston. And with me, my fellow dog JJ Vansel, uh, who's on the show with us tonight. And of course, we have our good friend and co-host, Mark Schmore the Duck. But JJ, let's start with you. How are you doing, my friend?
1: I'm doing I'm doing great, Warren. Can't wait to be in Houston with you. I mean, honestly, the dream continues. Uh, in many ways, define logic how many times are the, the Huskies going to be underdogs and they show up, Um they pass every test, they make the plays, they've got it in their veins. And the, yeah, it's just been, it's been one of the most uh, incredible sports experiences of, of, of my, my life. So excited to keep it going.
0: I cannot remember. Uh, and any kind of an example comparable in any sport which a team has just kept us on the edge of their seat game after game after game after game mark you referred to them as the washington acrobats and we'll let you explain a little bit about that you know that title uh, but before we do let's talk for a little bit about your beloved oregon ducks Uh, The Ducks finished the season with 12 wins, one of the most dominant teams in the history of the program, a New Year's Six Bowl win, a record-setting Heisman caliber quarterback, and the best defense in Oregon's history. Describe what it feels like to be a Duck right now.
2: Well, it's hard to divorce being a duck right now with what Washington is doing in their own season. So, you know, all of those things that you just said are are true. And this, I think, uh, was is one of the best Oregon teams ever. Uh, I think if you had a playoff of all of the different Oregon teams in history, I'm not sure that this team doesn't win like, I, you know, uh, and yet. JJ I think you were the one that texted out and said I think Oregon's the second best team in the country that's kind of how it feels right now is it's like well we see how good this Washington team is we see what an incredible run they're on uh knowing that Oregon had a lead on them in the fourth quarter twice in this season three times in in this winning streak and couldn't close the door in any of those games is is a little bittersweet uh but at the same time 12 wins I think is something that any college football fan is always going to say yes to a new year's six bowl win is something you're always going to say yes to um, all of the records, individual records that were set and everything like that. Uh, There's much to be excited about. I think the trajectory of the program is in a great direction, uh, but it's all overshadowed by the neighbors from the North and, and the special, special season that uh, Washington is happening. And so it's just kind of a, uh, some interesting timing with that.
0: It, it's bizarre. I mean, it's truly unbelievable. And and this has been the thing that I've said almost every single week that we've recorded this podcast. There's never been a better time to be the hosts of a podcast called The Dog and Duck Show because I think you guys are both right. I mean, you you Georgia could make an argument that maybe they're the oh, second sure. best team yes. in the country. Uh, Certainly, Michigan is going to be making their argument, but uh, Oregon has, uh, you know, they have everything going for them this season, except for the fact that they've lost two times to the Washington Huskies.
2: Yeah, and I I don't, I mean, I wouldn't fight anybody that said they're the fifth best team, not the second, but the point is, is that they're, this is a, especially, I think, even year at the top, there isn't one or two teams that is just throttling everybody that was, that was proven out with the two amazing semifinals. We had something that normally doesn't take place on new year's day. I think there were, there were three or four other teams that didn't make the college football playoff that reasonably could look at themselves and think they were a top four team like Oregon, like Georgia, like Florida state. It was just that kind of, that kind of year. And so to be in that group of seven or eight is is was fun it was it was thrilling at times uh it made me wish that there was a 12 team playoff this year because i think this was one of the few years where that really would have been competitive top to bottom uh but at the same time you know they they lost to a really good team twice and and that team is now playing for the national title so there's some satisfaction in knowing that oregon Put up a good fight in those games and and made Washington sweat and all of that. But also uh you can't not think about missed opportunities and you know, a fourth down conversion that doesn't go our way in the first game and a a Michael Penix fumble that then became an incomplete pass by the tiniest margin in, mm-hmm. in the second game. Like you just you think about all those plays. How can you not? Uh that's that's the beauty of college football is that these games will stick in your mind forever. And uh, and so that's that's the kind of year it is. Looking back on this year, all of the great memories from this season will all be filtered through the fact that they lost to Washington
0: twice. Absolutely. JJ, I was just thinking about this, uh, this memory that you and I, we went to the Rose Bowl in 2019 and mm-hmm. uh, we watched the Huskies, unfortunately, lose to Ohio State. But while we were driving around, the you know the Pasadena Los Angeles area i remember you saying hey i've got this buddy and he's an incredible writer and he's starting this this blog about sports called mark's moments and he's like you got to you got to check it out and you know uh, i think it was probably i read a few articles i remember reading a uh, an article about nadal and federer and a few other things that you had written and then we end up on staff at the same nonprofit organization together, Mark. And now we've been hosting this, this podcast for over three years, but uh, you know, JJ, as you think back to that moment and where we were coming off of that Rose bowl loss, and then what we've kind of seen happen to the program since then with You know, kind of things petering out with Chris Peterson, the the lake, you know, monstrosity, and now this, you know, Deboer ascension. You know, what's just give me your take about what this journey has been like since that Rose Bowl loss in two thousand
1: nineteen. Well, that's that's a phenomenal question. I mean, I, I it's it's really difficult to fully articulate because it just boggles the mind that we're at where we're at um obviously you have three straight new york six bowl games that the huskies had played 2016 they play in the in the national championship they lose it to uh alabama nobody
2: oh, oh hold on hold on hold on national semifinals jj They're sorry not... sorry sorry
1: you're right i'm just yeah. i got national championship on the brain yeah. You know, <laughs> you can forgive me for that. Uh, they're, they they lose in the semifinal, which I believe was the Peach Bowl to Alabama. Nobody thought they had a chance. We were just happy to be there. Yeah. Then uh, 2017 season, you know, ends with a disappointing Fiesta Bowl loss to Penn State. Kind of a disappointing, you know, sequel to this. what we thought was going to be a a really potential chance to win a national championship that year. And then uh, we felt similarly in, in 2018. And, and, and these are all good seasons. These are the Jake Browning, you know, final three seasons. Yeah. Um, And we just felt like the program, regardless of uh, maybe hitting the, you know, kind of the the peak in 2016, we felt like we were going to ramp back up. So we get this five-star quarterback transfer out of Georgia, you know, hometown kid, Jacob Eason, This is going to be, this is it, baby. This is it. And uh, what would we finish? Eight and five, really disappointing season. Another loss to the Ducks. Um, 2020, we can kind of throw out. Um, Mm -hmm. And then we, yeah. I mean, then we have the Lake, the Lake year, which also, I mean, it's yeah. Two years ago at this, at this moment, when we're, when we're hiring DeBoer, we're just kind of hoping that we're winning. We get back into seven, eight win seasons.
0: Yeah. who knew and
1: i actually think mark was probably the most bullish about DeBoer. yeah from the uh, from the get-go I was,
2: I was talking you guys into it i yeah yes I, you were i, yeah, I, rem- yeah, I remember were.
1: that
2: yes
0: absolutely yeah i remember
2: going we, we wanted matt campbell yeah
1: dave Arondo. you know those were the guys that we desperately wanted and twitter was was abuzz with all these different theories and 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 you know, guesses on who we were going to get, and then we get this guy, Kaylin DeBoer, and yeah, no Mark, you're absolutely right. You were the, you were saying, guys, this is a good coach.
0: So. Absolutely, absolutely, and now 25 and two since then, and uh, you know, all of that just seems like it's just so far in the rearview mirror. Mark, in, in your, hey. uh, oh, JJ, do you want to say something? No, I just wanted to reflect back on something
1: that was said earlier. I mean, I can just say that my my statement that Oregon, I think, is is the second best team, and and I know that might be, you know, pouring salt in Oregon fans in you know in the wound. But does anyone think that Oregon doesn't beat Texas last night? Yeah. I think Oregon beats Texas. I, I you know? think
2: it would have been a a close game. I I don't necessarily think like oh, it's a shoe in Oregon would have beaten. Texas, but I, but you
1: can, you can make
2: a really strong
1: argument that they make it. I think the fear of Husky fans leading up, you rewind a month ago, leading up to the Pac-12 championship game was like, if the, if the Ducks beat us, they probably win the national championship. That was the sense that we felt based upon how well the Ducks are playing. So.
0: Yeah. And I mean, really every single game this season, except for against the university of Washington the Ducks looked like they were the superior team in the Pac-12, you know, so it, it wasn't just us. I mean, everybody was saying, okay, Washington is the worst no loss team and Oregon is the best one loss team. And that was supported with the fact that coming into Las Vegas, Oregon was a 10 point, you know, favorite despite having already lost to the Huskies earlier in the season. So, you know, I think, I think all of that is true, that what you're saying is true, that, that based on the eye test, based on what we we've seen in every other game, except against the Huskies, Oregon looks like they're the superior team. Well, and
2: to be clear, Washington in the six games to close the regular season was not the same as the Washington team that played Oregon in Texas. Texas, And nowhere near the Washington team that showed up against Texas, especially offensively with how Penix and that receiving core was clicking against, against Texas. I think, you know, having a healthy Jalen McMillan certainly is a huge part of that, but it's just, I mean, Washington was kind of sleepwalking there through the last month and a half of the season. And it, it they have certainly found their groove. At at just the right time, but this this looks like the team that I saw in September when I, I texted somebody and said I think Washington might win the national title. That's that's the kind of team I thought they had. in mm-hmm. September they didn't seem to have that kind of team in November, and now they've they found it again.
0: Well, let's get into this game uh, on Monday night. Uh, obviously, the stakes could not have been any higher the university of washington once again is uh, four and a half point underdogs to the texas longhorns despite having a higher ranking despite having an undefeated record despite having already beaten uh this team once in the last 12 months but that's that's just the way that it's gone as booger mcfarland said the huskies play basketball on grass they don't know how to play big boy football and uh, the dogs took it to them. So let's start off with just kind of sharing a little bit about where were you? What kind of what was your setting as you were watching this game on Monday night?
1: Yeah, I was watching with uh, with my family. Um, so my parents hosted uh, all their you know all their kids and and cousins, and so we we were huddled around the TV. There was probably fifteen people watching. About five of us were Husky fans. The rest were just along for the ride. Uh, Yeah, we had a great time.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've been watching football all day by that point because I started with the Oregon game and then continued through the Alabama-Michigan game, and my folks were in town, and I've got a two-year-old boy that was running reckless. So I, I can't say that I was keeping a super close eye on things until my son went to bed. Uh, but I was certainly uh, locked in for most of the second half until I felt like Washington kind of had the game in hand and then I think I'm not even sure that I had the sound on it was just kind of in the background I'm texting a friend about who we think is going to win the Washington Michigan game (laughs) (laughs) kind of I had like closed the book on the game completely and then uh, Texas made that furious rally to make it super interesting at the end
0: yeah. Well, I was watching the game with a couple buddies over at, at a friend's house. And uh, unlike you, Mark, I was not comfortable at all. And uh, that lack of comfort just absolutely was confirmed with the way that the, the whole thing unfolded at the end. JJ texted me after the game was over. He said, are you alive? <laughs> And I think I said, my heart is beating out of my chest. My knees are shaking and my entire body is trembling right now. So, and I was not exaggerating. Like I could not sit down for the last 40 minutes of that game. I was too amped up. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about some of the highs and the lows of this game. Uh, because it felt like once again, this was one of those games where Washington seemed to be on the verge of taking command of the game, breaking the game wide open only to let Texas come right back in. And it left you wondering, is this going to be the game where the luck runs out for these, you know, Washington acrobats, the defibrillator dogs. So, you know, as you look back on this game, what are some of the the highs and the lows for you? Uh, against Texas,
1: I'll start. Um, I mean, it, it was the Michael Penix Jr. game. I think you could argue that this was the best quarterback performance in a Husky history. Yeah. By what I would consider the best Husk quarter, Husky quarterback in history, and you could probably put this game on the short list of best Pac-12. Quarterback performances in in a game, you know, I'm not going to say it's number one or number two. I'm sure Mariota had 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 his fair share, and other uh, other quarterbacks have as well. But he was throwing the ball so ridiculously well, so calm, poised in the pocket. Several times where he just shifted out of the way. His instincts were 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 right on cue, and he he played his best game of the year last night.
0: Yeah. Best game of his life. It, I mean, I think, you know, if you just looked at the statistics, there are always going to be those games where some guy, you know, throws for 500 yards and five touchdowns, you know, Bo Nix had a couple of those games where he had five touchdowns by the first half this season, but because of the, you know, the stakes of this game to do what he did. And uh, Matt Leinart said that he thinks that, Michael Penix Jr. is the the best pure passer he's ever seen in college football Hmm. finished or he's right now he's at over 4,500 yards passing for the second season in a row the last person to do that Patrick Mahomes so that's a pretty rare company um, just to see that and I think one of the things that stood out to me about this game and I don't know if it's been talked about enough is the fact that Michael Penix Jr. had 31 yards rushing in this game, three rushes for 31 yards. And the mobility that you saw from Penix in this game was something that we've been kind of wondering was there for the last two years. And it's like he's he's kind of saying, hey, I'm ready to let this cat out of the bag.
2: Well, and they really needed those runs because uh, they were not getting... Yardage out of, you know, Dylan Johnson in the way they were able to against Oregon a couple weeks ago. And that was one area where, you know, the people, the prognosticators kind of thought that the Texas defensive line would stop the running game and put a lot of pressure on Penix. They didn't put a lot of pressure on Penix, but they did, they did slow down Dylan Johnson. But each of those Penix runs, they were well designed, they were timely, and they were just backbreakers, I thought. Mm for that Texas defense. And the other takeaway that I had, and and this is a takeaway that I've had watching multiple Oregon games as well, is that I think what makes this Husky offense so demoralizing to root against is that you can have good enough coverage that would work against 95% of quarterback and receiving duos Mm -hmm. in the country, but Penix puts the ball so precisely exactly where he wants to put it. And all of Washington's receivers are so good at catching contested Mm -hmm. passes. And I remember I I was watching with my dad and it was like, there was, you know, was it, was it Polk who caught the deflected pass in the end, you know, coming over the top and it gets deflected up in the air and Polk grabs it. And then I think the very next possession, it was, there's a Texas receiver. I think it was their running back who leaked out and he's wide open on the sideline and Ewers puts it right on the money and he drops it. And it yeah. was just that's the story of of Washington against everybody else is their receivers make plays that other teams don't make, and that's that's I think the biggest reason of why they're on this special run. No, you're absolutely
1: right. It 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 uh, it is a sight to behold. I mean, even even uh, what was the second second play of the game or, or something like that Third play of the game. And, and yeah, we all knew going into the game that Texas was, uh, was vulnerable in the, uh, in the secondary and that showed out.
0: Yeah. And I mean, the star receivers, they did what, you know, we expected them to do Odunze with six, receptions for 125 yards and three of those receptions are exactly what Mark was talking about where Penix put the ball in a place that no other college quarterback can do and very few NFL quarterbacks can do and Odunze was able to catch those balls perfectly and then Jalen Polk he had that uh 29 yard touchdown reception off of the deflection but the 77 yard uh, you know, kind of catch and run that ended out at the two yard line. Uh, you know, Jalen McMillan didn't put up quite as big a stats, but five receptions for 58 yards and Jeremy Bernard contributed even, uh, after that fumble with, uh, three receptions for 48 yards, I believe. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. Three receptions for 48 yards. So, I mean, all of the receivers did what they you know were expected to do and more um but how about the the mount side high school basketball player turned walk-on football player turned star tight end jack westy Westover? the guy does nothing but just make clutch catches game after game after game six catches for 59 yards And uh, I think he converted at least three third downs in this game to keep the chains moving.
2: Yeah, he was great. I I was, I was impressed. I thought, no, I haven't watched every Washington game as closely as you guys have, but this, I came away with a stronger impression of his play in this game than I had all Mm -hmm. season. where I've I've seen him make plays in the past. It's not like I, I thought he wasn't a factor, but this was a game where I thought, Oh man, that, that tight end is really a difference maker them today. Tremendous hands. I mean, I've yeah. even heard it said that that people
0: see
1: he's got the best hands on the team.
0: Yeah. I mean, and you know, you start talking about kind of all time greats, you know, he may not go down as the greatest tight end in Husky history, but I, I would, I would venture to say he's got to be in the conversation for the greatest pass catching tight end in Husky history. I mean, I mean, he'll right go down
1: with, as, as he'll go down as the greatest fan favorite tight end.
0: Yeah. I mean, ASJ was a freak uh, just with his oh, size yeah. and speed and, and all that, but I, I don't think he had better hands than, than Westover.
1: Westover's not making the marks moments. Top 10 tight ends. No, but no. he might but be a the, national championship tight end
0: the critical catches that you absolutely have to make. So obviously Washington made some incredible plays, but it seemed like, especially in that first half, it was a seesaw type of a battle. Uh, One drive, we couldn't stop the run. The next drive, you know, yours gets hot. But JJ, as you were watching this game, were you more excited about the fact that it felt like Washington was clearly the better team or frustrated about the fact that we couldn't seem to break the game open.
1: Oh, without a doubt, I was, I was frustrated. Um, I think I even texted our good friend, Jake. Um, Cause Warren was too amped to return any text messages during the game yesterday. <laughs> um, I said, I, I'm nervous that we're up by 13 right now, only 13. Mm -hmm. And, and then I was like, but please hear me. I'm really glad we're up 13. I mean, but it felt like the Huskies in the second half had like, they had three straight possessions to put the Mm -hmm. game out of reach. We go up by seven and then Texas fumbles the ball. We get a field goal. Yeah. Then Texas goes three and out. Then we go three and out. Then Texas, get, so we're still up ten. Then Texas fumbles again. And then we only get a field goal. And so we're up thirteen. And I that thirteen score scared me. I just envisioned Texas is going to go down. They're going to score. Then it's going to be six points. Then all it is is one more punt, and Texas is driving for the lead. And so it just was. I was, I was annoyed. And it's the whole season. Make sense of Washington's inability to put teams away.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Make sense of it. (laughs) It doesn't – there is – it is maddening. That game should have been 17 to 20 points. Easy. With the way that our offense was running, Texas had no answers for us.
2: There was a point where I took a picture of the screen with every intention of sharing it with glee – on the show because it was showing the total yardage by quarter, and it was Texas 137 yeah. yards in the fourth quarter, and Washington negative, negative one. Yeah. I, saw yeah, I saw that. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, but you know that second quarter, or excuse me, the third quarter. Third was quarter was the opposite. opposite. It was the exact opposite. the exact opposite.
2: Yeah, no, no, but it was just that the idea that you you had a chance. Yeah, the Huskies had a chance to really put the game away. And for some reason they couldn't get out of their own way again. And and that's why I refer to them as the Washington Acrobats, because it feels like they need to do something risky just to kind of make them make themselves feel alive. So it's like, what what can we do here? Like what can can we can we get them it, back in the game somehow?
0: It, well, it was, you know, I mean it was when you think I about like, an acrobat, what what does an acrobat do? They do dangerous feats for the you know, the thrill of the audience, exactly. but the acrobats themselves are completely confident in what they're doing. Yeah. You know, and I I think that there's a lot, I mean, it's such a great, uh, you know, it's such a great analogy, Mark, that you, you came up with over a month and a half ago. And it's just continued to be true all the way up to this, this point.
2: Well, so let me, let me take that and, and ask you guys a question here, Warren, because you know, I'm watching this and when Dylan Johnson gets hurt and the clock stops and you realize, okay, Texas is going to get the ball with, it's not going to be 15 seconds. It's going to be 45 seconds or something. Yep. You know, I'm watching it going, Oh, that's, that's interesting. But like this game's still over. Like, you know, this is not, they don't have Patrick Mahomes here. They have Quinn Ewers. This is not going to happen. Then Ewers completes that. What? Like that 50 yard 41 yard pass
0: to their third best receiver. Yeah.
2: Great catch by that dude. And then they complete another pass, and all of a sudden they're at like the 13 yard line. At that point, when you realize, okay, they're inside the 15, they're going to have at least three shots at the end zone here if they they manage the game right. What were you guys thinking in that moment? Were you thinking like steadfast, like, hey, this is who we are, we're built for this moment, or were you thinking, how are we in this position? I can't believe. Like, I want to know, like, real time. What were you guys? thinking as, as those plays unfolded?
0: Well, I'll just say first that I think, you know, I was describing how my heart was beating out of my chest and my body was, you know, reacting with a shock of adrenaline. So obviously I was physically reacting to the the situation in the game, but I think, uh, you know, on first, on first down, I thought, okay, I think we can do this. We just got to get a stop. We got to do something special. We get, you know, we, we break up the pass and then uh, on second down uh, we, we, you know, they pass it for some reason for like zero yards to the running back. He runs out of bounds. It's kind of such a stupid play. Third down. That's when Mish Powell has the, the cornerback, you know, blitz. And it looks like the game is over. Yeah. And I'm thinking we dodged a bullet. You know, we, we're going to get out of this thing alive, but when they put a second back onto the clock, I thought to myself, this is going to be the, this is going to be the greatest gut punch in the history of college. I mean, this is going to be like Russell Wilson throwing an interception at the end of the Super Bowl where we are never going to forget this for the rest of our lives. They're going to score a touchdown. And, you know, Mark, uh, this seems like the right time for me to to bring this up. But all season long, the Washington Huskies uh, have known that our greatest weakness in the defensive backfield is Elijah Jackson. It started with game one. And, you know, he had two pass interference calls and a couple of blown coverages. And all throughout the season, it's it's just felt like if there's a guy that's going to get exposed by the opposing team, yeah. it's Elijah Jackson. Somehow, Texas seemed to forget that he was out on the field until the fourth <laughs> quarter. But on that touchdown drive, they threw a 40-yard pass to Xavier Worthy with Elijah Jackson on coverage. And then on the very next play, they threw a touchdown pass that that sky hook to Adonai Mitchell with right. Elijah Jackson in coverage. So with that one second left on the clock, everybody in the entire stadium knew what was going to happen. They yeah. were going to go back to Adonai Mitchell yeah. and they were going to go after Elijah Jackson. So in that moment for him. To go up in the air and literally, like, he looked like Michael Jordan just climbing steps into the sky to go after that ball and knock it, swat it out of the air and end that game. I mean, you just talk about how a heart can go from total despair and destruction to jubilant joy in a matter of a quarter of a second and that's what i was experiencing in that moment it was uh, there's not there has not been a more stressful and joyful second in my entire life than that one right there
2: <laughs> well i mean it was pretty poetic to have the guy that i mean i i live in the seattle area so i hear things on talk radio and what like this is the guy that like no Washington fans have had any confidence in all season. Like he's he's absolutely like the seemingly the one player that Washington fans would just assume like trade for somebody on another team. And and it had to be a concern knowing that like Texas has this receiver who is playing in his fifth playoff game and has scored a touchdown in all of those games. Like this is totally a guy that's been been there before has made huge plays on the biggest stage. Like he's the only Texas player that you could say that about. And it did really feel like, oh man, maybe this is how they get done in is by, by the one guy that, that can make these plays. I thought Ewer's throw was way too high for where, how the receiver had the positioning. Like you can't can't throw the ball over his head when he's in front of the defender. At the same time, I feel like a Washington receiver would have caught that. Like that's just (laughs) kind of like, you know, uh, that just kind of seems like the play that they would have come down with.
0: Absolutely.
1: Well, 100%. And even during the during the week, I was listening to a podcast talking about yours. And they were saying he does throw with a lot of loft on it. Hmm. If he had lasered that in, you know, to the corner, yeah. it would have been a catch, you know. Yeah. There was no way that Jackson would have been able to get to get to the ball going back to how i felt i mean i was convinced i i was trying to make sense of how i was going to react Mm -hmm. (laughs) like what am i going to do when when texas scores (laughs) i'm sitting next to my brother-in-law and he's just saying interception 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 um when we almost sacked him, when when Powell almost sacked him and he threw out of bounds, do you guys remember it had to been two thousand it was the Colt McCoy year? There was Bo Pelini was the coach of Nebraska. And this is like the best season Nebraska's had. Uh at least the, the the last great season. It was a Big 12 championship game, and Colt McCoy threw a ball out of bounds and it bounced and they put one second back and then Texas kicked a field goal to win it. I think I'm thinking of that game. Yeah. put one second back on it, um, on the clock. And I, I just was like, they're going to, they're going to do a slant across the middle. I don't, you saw the drawings mm-hmm. that the, the, the broadcasters were doing. I was like, don't do that. Please do not go across the middle. Cause I could just, I was envisioning a, a Texas touchdown and, yeah. and going, how do I make sense of this?
0: So I, I gotta say that as I was reflecting on the game earlier today, um, You know, there were a couple things that that came to my mind. One is that this Elijah Jackson story, it's it's very similar in some ways to you know Peyton Henry, where you know, maligned for a missed kick and then comes back and you know redeems himself. Same kind of a, a deal with Jackson, but you know, going back to 2021, Jimmy Lake was asked. Okay, who is the next great defensive back in, you know, this DB room? Trent McDuffie and Kyler Gordon were on their way out and Jimmy Lake said Elijah Jackson. That's that's my guy. And you know, uh, there's there was a lot of hope I think at that time that he was going to be that guy and he just simply hasn't. He has not been the dominant defensive back that Husky fans of, you know, we're used to under the, the Jimmy Lake reign, but Jimmy saw something in him and Jimmy, you know, definitely for all of his faults, uh, he had an eye for defensive backs. And so this is actually what came to my mind when I was thinking about this last night is the, remember the final moments of the original karate kid. All right. Johnny has swept Daniel's leg. He has just been brutalized uh, throughout this entire tournament. And all that's left is for him to get one more point. He goes into that crane kick motion and Johnny comes right at him because that's what Johnny does. And Daniel takes him out. And the (laughs) final scene, the final shot is that look of Pat Morita, Mr. Miyagi, just kind of giving a little smile and a nod. To Daniel Son, and then the, the the movie is over, and I just had this this picture in my mind of somewhere Jimmy Lake having that same expression on his face, <laughs> looking at Elijah Jackson, and just going, "Good job, good job." And so I gotta give I gotta give like a little bit of credit for seeing something in in EJ that a lot of us didn't see. But wow, what an incredible way to end the game and now, you know, take the Huskies to their first opportunity to win a national championship on this stage in the history of the program. Truly, truly remarkable. One more thing, More, because I
2: know we're going to get to talking about the Michigan game, but. We we just mentioned how high that last pass was. And JJ mentioned, you know, that yours kind of throws with a little loft on it. I wonder if part of that is because when he doesn't put that loft on it, his passes get batted down at the line of scrimmage more than any quarterback I've ever seen. I mean, Washington's mm. pass rush did a terrific job of getting their hands on those passes and deflecting them. I lost track of how many times it happened, but it seemed to happen in all kinds of big moments. And, uh, and I just thought, you know, that was supposed to be a real difference maker for Texas and their pass rush. Just, I mean, a little bit later in the game, they kind of forced Penix out of the pocket, but really they didn't have a huge impact on the game. I thought Washington continually made yours uncomfortable and, uh, and that pass rush had just a, a phenomenal game and, and they need to be mentioned.
0: Well, you're absolutely right, Mark. And I mean, I think the big stories coming into the game was really not the skill players with all the talent on both teams, but it was about those two lines. You know, what What would Washington's offensive line be able to do with the the mammoth combo of uh, Murphy and, and Sweat? And, uh, you know, we, we saw what happened. The Huskies were able to run for over 100 yards and two touchdowns. They were able to get 430 yards passing with no sacks. Um, Troy Faltano had 42 pass uh, snaps and zero pressures on on him. So they were phenomenal on that side of the ball. And then on the defensive side of the ball, uh, you know, Braylon Trice came into this game with having 70 pressures, which was the exact same number he had after 13 games in last season uh and and last night he had eight pressures Mm -hmm. and two sacks and a forced fumble and he looked like the best defensive player on either team better than murphy or sweat he looked like the best defensive player out there last night
2: and that's another Mm -hmm. that's another example of where like where was that earlier this season like like there were there were some games where I watched Braylon Trice and and could not like find him on the field like like I just he he didn't turn up I didn't notice him making plays and like you said he was the best player on the field last night and it's just an example of how this team has has found the right gear and everybody is is playing their best at the right time
1: one thing that's interesting before we move on to the Michigan game that I've noticed about this team and it could it could uh be a reason why they they struggled so much is this team really keeps receipts on what Mm. is said about them
0: yeah like they
1: if you follow any of the players on twitter they referenced boogie mcfarland Mm. saying
0: basketball and grass
1: oh booger sorry yeah uh Many, they, basketball and grass, and they don't play big boy football. Probably 10 players referenced this. Yeah. referenced that they were underdogs. They referenced that they were, you know, overlooked. Nobody gave them respect. And I just think they have lived into that mentality. And their best games were the games that everybody doubted them, where they were picked against. Minus the Oregon State game. Um, so there was just something to say about they feed off that
0: that uh, that doubt. So true. And you could tell that you know, they were they were pretty controlled, I think in um, their comments leading up to the game, but they were also extremely confident in what they believed that they were going to be able to do. And after the game was over, um, oh, what's her name? The uh, the the sideline uh sideline McGrath. announcer. What's that? Like oh, Melissa Ma- McGrath. Mc, yeah, McGrath. Molly. Uh, Molly McGrath. Yeah, you know she asks, she asks Pennick, She says, "This was your best game. Is this the best game you've ever played?" And he said, "I got one more game." You know, and and then you know Braylon Trice after the game was like, "Hey, we still have more business to take care of." You know, they can keep doubting us. We'll show them, you know, just anytime, place, kind of a mentality. And I think that, I think that's what you want is you want a team that is very confident, but they're, they still have that chip on their shoulder at the same time. And I think that's what the dogs have right now, which is a, I mean, is that there's not a better, there's not a better place to be than to believe that you're the best but also believe that nobody else thinks that, so that's uh, and that's what that's what's going to be the case next Monday night against Michigan. Already, Michigan is a four and a half point favorite, uh, just like Texas was. Um, so, you know, what are your thoughts, both of you guys, going into this game? You you know, we all watched uh, that Alabama Michigan game, two teams with you know great defenses struggled on offense, uh, for long stretches during the game. But, uh, what, what do you think about the matchup between Michigan and Washington next Monday?
2: I think, uh, from my perspective as, as a little more of an outside observer who has a reason to root against both teams, uh, (laughs) I, I would say that, uh, it does seem like it's strength on strength. Like, I think that uh, as good as Texas's defense was and as good as Oregon's defense was, I think Michigan's defense should be the best defense that Washington has had to go against this year by, by I think, a significant margin. And I think uh, I think Washington is going to be by far the best offense that Michigan has had to play this year. They haven't played anyone close to that uh, in the big 10 this year. So it's, it's going to be really fun to see, you know, this explosive high-flying offense against this grinded out smothering defense that, um, asphyxiates teams. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a real strength, strength versus strength matchup. And that, that should be a lot of fun.
0: What do you think JJ?
1: No, you're absolutely right, Mark. I, I was so impressed by Michigan's defense, some of their schemes on their, on their, uh, and stunts on, on the line, getting those sacks early in the game. Um, man, I mean, I, I J, not a great quarterback. I mean, what would he throw? Um, Hundred yards, maybe. Um, he's obviously an incredibly gifted athlete. Um, that's that's where all of all of their success was 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 on the ground for him. But Michigan was was to be credited with keeping him really uncomfortable. I was equally unimpressed with Michigan's offense. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that game was a comedy of errors. Yeah, for majority of the game, Um, it just they could not get out of their own way. Um, Whether it was poor penalties, whether it was just dropped passes, whether it was, you know, whatever it might have been, they they just could not get going. I mean, it the last two minutes really saved that game. From kind of being a snoozer, um, and it turned it to be a, a wonderful finish and an exciting game and one of the most watched games in college football history. Um, but anyway, no, I, I, I think to Mark's point, Michigan is the best defense we faced yeah. by far, um, and they're going to be really tough. Um, I think Washington can score on them. The, the health of Dylan Johnson will be key. Mm-hmm. If they, if we're one dimensional and they can, they can just, you know, they can just prepare for the pass. That'll, that'll hurt us. Um, so yeah, we'll see how how it plays out. Can our yeah. receivers do what they do and can Penix do what he does against a defense like that?
0: I, I like what you said there, that word one dimensional, because I think when you look at what, uh, Michigan did to Alabama in that game was they made them obviously one-dimensional. There was literally no respect for Milrose passing at all for the entire game. They got pressure on him anytime he dropped back. And as a result, uh, Alabama gave up on the passing game and it was it was either going to be a handoff to a running back, or it was going to be Milro trying to uh, do some sort of designed quarterback run. And you know when the way that game ended with Milro just running right into you know the the center of the the line and getting stuffed uh, to to lose the game, you know when I watched that, I looked at the guys around me. I said that was the best play that they had. Like, like as awful of a play as that was, that was the best play that they had because they, they didn't have any good plays that they could run because Milroe is not the kind of passer that can challenge or stretch a defense. So, you know, I get it. Uh, Ohio state is a talented team. They had a five-star quarterback. They had two of the best wide receivers in the country but Kyle McCord is nothing compared to Michael Penix Jr. Yeah. So I don't think that this Michigan team has seen a quarterback who can do what Michael Penix can do. And uh, you know, I think I think it is going to come down to the the two things that you guys have really mentioned. Number one, can Washington give Penix the protection he needs? like he had against Texas like he had against Oregon if he's got that protection uh they've got no chance of stopping Washington on on defense and then you know Blake Corum you know the the guy is just a solid tough running back um and we struggle with solid tough running backs yeah so if they basic i mean In most cases, making a team one dimensional uh, is to the favor of the defense. But if Michigan gets into a mindset where they just say, hey, we're just going to run the ball and we're just going to out tough you, and they're able to do that like they, like, you know, teams have done over the last couple of years with the Huskies, that could be a problem. But, um, you know, if Thule is able to, to to pull together a great game and uh, Eddie and, and Bruner and those guys can keep those three and four yard runs from being eight and 12 yard runs. I, I I really like our chances on defense as well. Yeah. I,
2: I think uh, when watching Texas against Washington, I was thinking, why isn't Texas running the ball more? Yeah. Weird. We're averaging over six yards of carry. And Ewers was not having a good game. I mean, he had moments, right? But uh, but overall, it was not his best game. And it and I just felt like they should they should be running the ball more, like especially if they think they have the advantage in the trenches, which their offensive line seemed to be able to create holes. And I do think Michigan is. I mean, when in Penn State against Penn State, they ran the ball like thirty four plays in a row in the second half. Like they just uh, they're, they're going to be very content to turn it into a grind it out, uh, game. And that it's going to be very interesting. Uh, I felt like Oregon was going to be able to do that against Washington in the PAC 12 title game. Cause they'd done that the previous two meetings and Washington had, you know, the answers to the test in essence, like they came in with a really solid game plan to shut that down. So it's going to be really interesting to see if, if schematically they can do something to to disrupt that early on and and force Michigan to to go to the air a little more i think jj mccarthy is a good quarterback i mean mm-hmm. he's what he's like 25 and 1 as a starter i mean you know he led a game tying drive against alabama in a game where the offense had really been struggling to score like that showed some some grit and some perseverance so it's not that I don't think McCarthy can play well enough to win the game, but uh, but it does feel like those first few drives, if Michigan just rolls down the field running the ball, that would concern me as a Husky fan. Whereas if they can yeah. stop the run on those first couple of plays like they did in that Oregon game, then it becomes a whole different can of worms for Michigan. Does does part of you feel like the Washington offense, maybe the the the
1: Ducks uh had a similar vibe back in the Chip Kelly era, where they kind of tempt the other team to try to be flashy as well. It's like playing a basketball game, and you're going up against mm-hmm. a team that can just light it up from the three-point line. All of a sudden, you feel like you got to start shooting threes, even though you're built to, to you know, with a couple big men down low. Yeah, um, like Washington is so electric. On the outside, and so electric with their wide receivers, that the play is like a almost like a psychological luring to like we've got to match them with that same energy and that same like you know huck it downfield, and it rather than just four three or four yards at a time, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: that they might feel like we gotta we gotta hit with the same intensity through the air. I don't know, just a thought.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good analogy. And, and um, you know, I think the Huskies have to be careful of doing that to themselves as well. You know, I mean, uh, and we've seen this at times throughout the season where, you know, if they can't get those 40 and 50 yard balls, they don't know how to, you know, move, move down the field. And so I, this is never going to be a, a football team where we're content getting three or four yards per play. Uh, But we've got to be able to get those seven and 10 yard completions and runs in order to keep the chains moving, because I think the ultimate success for us is if we can be explosive like we were against Texas, but at the same time, we can control the clock like we did, particularly in that third quarter where, you know, I think we had the ball like 13 minutes of the third quarter that's that to me was that was one of the most unheralded parts of the game against Oregon in the Pac-12 championship was how well we controlled the time of possession and I think you know looking at this Michigan game that's going to be what they're going to want to to really do is limit the number of times Washington gets the ball by you know, long drawn out plotting drives and then force Washington to try to chuck it deep three times and then get a three and out. So we've got to, we've got to be prepared to, to, to stay explosive, but to, to get those, those chain moving completions to keep the time of possession on our side.
2: I've got a kind of a, a statistical profile here that I've been thinking about in terms of like, who do these teams resemble? You know, Michigan is statistically the best defense in the country. And if you look through past national champions, there are a lot of times where the best defense in the country ends up winning the title. Um, You know, Georgia's done it, Alabama's done it, Clemson's done it, LSU has done it, Florida State, Miami, you know, like you just go through and a lot of a lot of the times, the national champion is either the best or the second best defense in the country. Uh, Washington doesn't have that kind of profile. They're something like 53rd in the nation in scoring defense. And so I was trying to find a comp, and there's there's two teams that won a national title without being in the top 30 in the nation in scoring defense. And it was 2019 LSU. What sticks out about that team? Incredible quarterback. Incredible receiving core. Mm-hmm. And then it was 2010, Auburn, what sticks out about that team, incredible Heisman, Cam record, Newton. You know, and so mm. Washington's defense on paper seems a little more suspect than you would like going into a national title game. Yeah. But I also don't think that Michigan is the type of offense that's really going to exploit that in a way that's that's just going to put fear of you like if if I'm a Washington fan I'm feeling pretty good coming into the playoff thinking well we already beat Bo Nix twice and we beat Caleb Williams we're not going to see a better quarterback than that in, in the playoff field. and so you know if if Washington were playing a team that had a similar level of explosive ability on offense I would be concerned about how their defense could hold up but I think I think Michigan is a decent matchup for them if if they can hang up front.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think maybe the best, you know, comparison would be Oregon State, you know. I mean, DJ uh Ungalele is a, a a very good quarterback, but you know, not an elite passer, and Damian Martinez is a bruising uh running back who, you know, certainly tested the university of Washington all night long that that to me seems like the closest comparison to what Michigan is going to be like uh, next week. And again, I think if I'm Harbaugh in Michigan, I'm saying, Hey, let's pound the rock until they force us to do something differently. But to JJ's point, a lot of times teams decide, Hey, let's get, let's get cute. Let's try to, you know, be balanced or whatever that might be. And, um, you know, it, it ends, ends up backfiring on them. So we'll, we'll see, but Hey, as we wrap this up, um, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, JJ and I are headed to Houston. We will be there at the game. Um, so Mark, I was thinking about this, you know, in this CFP era, um, you know, Oregon, made it to a national championship game with Mariota and Penix is obviously the closest thing we've ever had to a Mariota on our team, although they play very different styles of, of quarterback, but what, uh you know, what advice would you have as a, you know, a fan of a team going into the national championship game, um, you know, knowing that this is it, it's, it's do or die.
2: Oh my gosh. Uh, what advice would I have? I, I mean, I think you have to just, you have to savor it, right? Like you never know if your if your team is, is going to be in this position again. Um, I, uh, you know, Oregon went into that, went into that game missing one of their best wide receivers who tore his ACL and their other best wide receiver who was, I think, kicked off the team for, for drugs or something or suspended or something like that. So, They went in kind of depleted, but then they Mm. they scored right off the bat on their opening drive, and I went back and looked, and basically in the entire, like, Chip Kelly through Mariota era, that six-year stretch, if Oregon scored on the first drive, they won, period. Like, there was never a game where Oregon scored on the first drive and didn't win, so they took the ball right down the field on Ohio State, and I honestly was like, this is it. We're going to win this game. We're the better team. They're playing a third-string quarterback. We have the best quarterback in the country and then it just didn't unfold that way. Well, Ohio state was much better at the line of scrimmage than Oregon was. And um, we just couldn't, couldn't hang. Uh, So games like this can kind of tie you in, in tricky knots. You can think it's going one way and then have the rug pulled out from under you or, you know, conversely, uh, Oregon was struggling, struggling, struggling to score against Auburn and then forces a fumble they drive down, they score, they get the two-point conversion, and it was kind of like, oh, my gosh, my team is alive again. So I would mm-hmm. say, you know, savor the moment. Um, you certainly have a team that has given you the benefit of the doubt. So to try yeah. to maintain that sense of belief, mm-hmm. even if things look dire, uh, this I, I don't see this game being a three-touchdown game, right? Like I see this game oh, yeah. coming down to the fourth quarter. It's going to come down to one team or another making a key play at the right moment. And I think the thing that I would feel the best about if I'm Washington is that is this team's comfort zone. Um, This team has proven it time and time again. They have a team of destiny vibe. And if the game comes down to the fourth quarter, you have to feel like you've got the team to to make the plays when they need to be made.
0: JJ, what's it going to take for you to walk out of the stadium on Monday night feeling like a million bucks.
1: (laughs) Oh man. I'm envisioning that right now. I'm manifesting it like, you know, putting every positive vibe out into the universe. Um, I can see it. And that is the Huskies. If they, they show up on offense like they did, last night i th- i think they win this game um only because i do think that even though michigan's defense is is really good i just don't think they can keep up i think our offensive line will give time for penix and i think he he will have the capacity to shred them with with our uh with our wide receivers and i don't think that michigan's offense can can score at, at the rate that we can score and team with most points wins
0: <laughs> yeah i just Tru- truer words have never been said <laughs> that 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 reminds me of uh what my dad used to say and he, he was always joking when he said this but he would say you know this is one of those games that the team with the most points at the end of the game is going to win Yes, yeah, so, of course.
1: He's yeah. a wise man.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, let's here's to hoping that the Washington Huskies have one more magic trick left in the hat, one more acrobatic feat uh that no one has ever seen before and that these Washington acrobats, the defibrillator dogs can pull it out one more time to finish this season an unbelievable 15 and zero and uh, take that national championship home for without question for the third time in <laughs> school history and uh, and have that national championship trophy where it belongs at the university of washington
2: You know, it's great for both Michigan and Washington after both splitting their previous national titles with another undefeated team that they didn't have the opportunity to play. Yeah. It's nice that they actually get to play each other, you know? Uh,
0: Yeah, this is it. Like I said at the top of the the episode, there's no polls, there's no voters, there's no East Coast bias, there's no ESPN. It is
2: just, it's
0: the scoreboard. Whatever the scoreboard says, that <laughs> is your winner. So, with that, we'll wrap things up. For all of our dog fans out there, thank you so much for being a part of this absolutely special season. Let's do this one more time. Let's get that W on Monday in Houston. Go, dogs.
2: And for all my go dog dogs, fans, go, Wolverines.
0: all right guys we will catch you next time husky nation it's the end of the
2: third quarter are you looking for the perfect tequila for your next get together the answer is born from a hero hero de leon direct from the prestigious Mergilla family just outside guadalajara honoring their great-grandfather who saved mexico from a horrible civil war it's authentic courageous with great integrity just like the general Enjoy the smoothest Blanco tequila you've ever tasted, or the rich flavor of our Reposado, aged for seven months in American bourbon barrels, or the ultimate tequila, our Añejo, which is aged for 18 months in the same bourbon oak barrels. Go to your favorite liquor retailer or restaurant and ask for Hero
0: de Leon, because it's always the end of the third quarter. Imported by Zombie Beverages, Mercer Island, Washington.